Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before, but the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discuss will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today, we're discussing Eddard 10 and Catelyn 6 of A Game of Thrones. How are you doing, Michael? You know, Dan, I am, I am pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm also good. I uh, I told you this off camera, but this is <laughs> this is my favorite favorite chapter of the book. Here, we've got some exciting stuff coming. Yeah, yeah. This was a uh, this was this was a fun two. This is like one two punch actually of chapters. There's a there, things are things are we've got some fireworks. We've yeah. got some fireworks. I like it. So, we uh, some some light housekeeping notes uh, or more just an update. We actually just passed fifty listens on episode one. Mm, mm, mm. suck so it that's, ira that's glass <laughs> oh man imagine if we sounded as good as he does uh hi everyone and welcome to brothers without banners i'm here with my brother dan and is this how gonna... i should do the opening from now on i think you should i think we should yeah. get into our npr voices try and do my best npr interpretation i heard somebody on this american life once call their voices stentorian and I love that. I think that we I don't do. know what it means, but it's provocative. It sounds cool though. Greek almost. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm pumped for these though. I mean, this is like uh we have another dream sequence. So I'm, I'm two for two on calling dream sequences my faves. Um, but I, I think there's a lot to get out of, especially this Ned chapter, which is the one I'm I'm talking about as my favorite. And I'm really excited to see what you think about it. Yeah, it's an it's, it's definitely like a lot of fun with these two chapters, and I think well, let's just uh, dive in. I want to just get into it and and let's start. do it. I'll be honest, I have a lot. Why of don't questions. you tell us where we've been? Yeah, uh, I don't know where we've been. Uh, we've where have we been? Good <laughs> gracious, so much is where. Better. Where did we last we've, see Ned, Michael? We, Ned, yeah, that's okay. That's a fair <laughs> way to. I'm like, where have we been, Dan? We've been all over. Uh, no, actually, that's a really good point. Why don't we actually take a second and, and catch up? Um, Quite recently, we have gone with Catelyn and Tyrion up into the Vale, uh, up even further up into the Eyrie. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a sort of trial of Tyrion going on there with what is appearing to be Catelyn's mad, crazy sister, Lysa, which has thrown yes. a real weird shadow on the note that started off so many events from Lysa saying, Cersei Lannister murdered my husband, John Aaron, the Hand of the King. Ned has been in King's Landing pursuing this this murder mystery only to find that king robert baratheon uh he fucks like he's got babies <laughs> yeah. in area codes or something there's does. a rhyme there yeah he's, uh, but that's he's what he's got said. some bastards around pulling on the thread that john aaron was going after he's sort of discovering like more and more bastard children and something to do with lineage no real clarity here uh of of what's going on there but uh but we we sort of left Ned leaving the latest you know follow up that he was doing on John Aaron. He's with Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, and a few of his uh, you know his guards and 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 all of that. And they're leaving one of the brothels that has uh, this sort of bastard relationship from from King mm -hmm. Robert Baratheon, where he Bera, his daughter Bera. Bera. Oh, and uh, he's leaving only to be confronted by Jamie Lannister and a handful of like Lannister folk uh, yep. where Jamie says, give me back Tyrion. Your bitch wife took my brother <laughs> and I want him. And 
you know, there's a whole sort of little bit of spat back and forth because Ned had retired from being Hand of the King. He didn't want to deal with murdering child Daenerys, even though she had a baby in her belly. Uh, and Jamie's saying, you know, you're not the Hand of the King. And he and Peter Baelish is saying he is the Hand of the King. And and sure right. enough, Jamie says, well, I can't kill you, Ned Stark, but I, you know, because of, you know, politics or whatever, but I'm going to I'm going to kill your men. And he does. Uh, and during the fracas, Ned's horse kind of falls on him, is injured and falls on him and breaks Ned's leg, leaving yes. Ned uh, under the milk of the poppy, which is where we we kind of come into contact with him right now yeah. at the beginning of this chapter. Yeah. So he's he's unconscious. He's he's comatose or whatnot from his injury. Uh, it was pretty gruesome bone popping through the leg. And that's where we find him. So for Ned 10 here, and I'll just give a quick overview of the chapter before diving in. So we actually, we start in a dream sequence where it's him back on the battlefield during the, this war that him and Robert won 15 years ago. And it's a really interesting sort sequence. Of. Yeah. We'll get we'll, into that. We'll get into that. Uh, Ned then wakes up after a little bit to find the reality that he's in and King Robert wants to talk with him. He doesn't want to wait for Ned to, you know, kind of like take a, take a moment to get his bearings. Ned is confronted in his bed by King Robert and Cersei, uh, Cersei being the absolute uh, charming individual that she is. Well, he stole her brother. Uh, blah, 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 blah. She's annoying. <laughs> uh, uh, and Robert being basically who we've seen King Robert to be. And we'll get into that. And the chapter ends with basically Robert saying, I deny your resignation. There's no way I'm going to let you not be handed the king. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, we uh, we covered my favorite chapter. On to the next one. And now on to, yeah. So with that said, I want to come back to the beginning of it, which is this dream sequence. And yeah. if it's okay, what I was hoping to do is actually tell you. So I had a lot of questions here. A lot yes. of characters are introduced here. Some yes. familiar, some not. It's clearly a dream, but at the same time seems reflective of a situation that was experienced. Okay. So that's that's a good place to start because we definitely get things going along those lines your position is that where you're landing that this is uh some dreamscape reflection of something that actually happened the conversation happened the fight happened whatever it may be yeah so where do you land on that so let me even give like a little more context for listeners right so we find that ned and i think seven of his comrades from this war uh, six or six six, with him seven including him yeah so so six with him so seven altogether uh, are there confronting three of the king's guard uh, from from the Targaryen era? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems again, and I want to stress that what I'm about to say is how I understood this chapter, and I'm looking yeah. for you for some clarity. Seven of these men, Ned included, come and confront these three prime king's guardmen. There's a conversation that happens between Ned and these three, basically saying, I was surprised I didn't see you at the at the trident, basically, where this fight was happening. I thought you would be there. I thought you would be there to protect mm-hmm. this Targaryen. There's a bravado that comes from these three, basically saying, if we were there, you guys wouldn't have won. It's unclear to me why they weren't there. Why wouldn't the Kingsguard be yeah. with the kings? Right. It wasn't clear to me why they weren't, you know, following the the remnants of the Targaryens, the Viserys and and Daenerys who are being sort of swept away. All uh, right. So let's let's slow down here and get into these things. I'll tell okay. you now. You know, I uh, I read through the chapters twice every time we do this. I okay. highlight as I go, and then I come back and I take notes. And my highlighting on this dream sequence is the entire page yeah, for the yeah, whole sure. dream sequence. I'm sure this is it's such good writing. It's so palpable. It's so uh, the dialogue is very Shakespearean. You could see it being done as a play, uh, and there's a lot to that. 
but so yes yeah, so, so let's let's introduce the characters here and then go from there okay seven people including ned he lists them off here we have martin cassell jory's mm -hmm. father so we have some context for him theo wool ethan glover who's brandon squire mm -hmm. sir mark riswell i'm gonna skip one and lord dustin those four we have not heard about before but i'll tell you now uh going hearkening back to our early days of the podcast when i gave you some info you didn't have these are northerners they're northern families okay uh, which makes sense uh especially with martin cassell obviously we know uh the fact that it was his brandon his brother squire also makes sense the last one helen reed we have heard of helen reed the cranignan do you remember where he came up before no he cranignan i know we talked about i remember yeah. we had some jokes about it but i don't I don't remember who this is. So, so yeah. So the Cranig is uh, is houses on stilts in bogs. It's like That's a Scottish right. thing. Uh, but our reference to Howland Reed, the Cranigman, came up specifically when Ned and Robert were in the crypts. Uh, Ned references that Howland Reed had taken Leanna's dead hand from Ned when he found Ned with Leanna, with dead Leanna rather. And so Ned thinks that to himself while having this conversation with Robert. That's the only time we've heard of him before now. Wait, say that one more time. Ned thinks of him when he took Leanna's so dead hand. Ned thinks of Howland Reed had mm -hmm. taken Leanna's dead hand from Ned's. He was holding her hand. Oh, after okay. She right. died. Howland Reed found him and took his hand from hers. Got it. Take, got took it, got her it, got hand it. from his. Yeah. So that's the time we've heard him mentioned before. They arrive and face, like you said, three members of the Targaryen Kingsguard. Sir Arthur Dane, who we've heard right. of before. Uh Sir Gerald Hightower, the White Bull Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Both of them were in Bran's list of knights way back mm -hmm. when before he fell. Yep. So these are famous people. They're in the stories. And and sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I also know that like like this is it's Ashara Dane that the rumors went around Winterfell yes. with Ned, right? That Ned kind of put the kaput on uh saying i don't want to hear this talked about anymore like john snow and and the relationship between right. me if there was one or it's not clear but it was specifically it was the one cat brought up right exactly him. yeah that was the rumor she had heard she brought it up he said never mention that name to me again moved on right and then the last one is sir oswell went who is another member of the king's guard he has a black bat on his white enameled helm, presumably his sigil. And we've heard of the Wents before as well. They are the house that controls a castle called Harrenhal, which is in the Riverlands. That's really all we've got about them. I'll add, too, that he does mention some geography here. And for the first time, I found myself really looking at the map in the beginning of the book. That's so exciting. You, I think, a chapter or two ago mentioned that, you know, I think Dorne was brought up and you were simply pointed out that we really haven't talked about it. It just happens to be a place. Uh, and then here it says that this is where he's facing them with Dorne at their backs. And Dorne seems yes. to be most the southernmost part of this world as we sort of experience it. That's as far as I was able to understand what I was seeing geographically. Exactly. Yeah. So they're somewhere in the south, somewhere right. in the far south. So, yeah. So from there, he, he remembers or dreams up this conversation, this back and forth about various places where he expected the Kingsguard to be, mm -hmm. but they weren't. And so we'll just run through these because I really want to get into with you theories, thoughts on why they weren't. The first one, like you already mentioned, I looked for you on the Trident, but you weren't there. And the response is no, we would have beaten Robert had we been. Next, he brings up the sack of King's Landing when Jamie killed the king. Say no, or else Eris would be alive and Jamie would be dead. 
Then at Storm's End, where Ned broke the siege and Lords Tyrell and Redwine pledged to rob, bent their knee and pledged to Robert. And they said, no, the Kingsguard does not kneel. And then finally he says, or I would have expected you to have gone with Sir Willem Derry, who brought Viserys and Elia, the Mad King's wife, to Dragonstone, which appears is where they are now. And they say, no, Sir Willem Derry is great. He's doing what he's supposed to do for his king and his king's family, but the Kingsguard does not flee. I want to also just double check, right? Dragonstone is where in in not in dreamscape, but in reality right now in this in this world, this is where Stannis is. That's yes. Dragonstone. Okay, okay. Yes. So we have heard before about the siege on Storm's End. Storm's mm-hmm. End, of course, is the Baratheon uh castle. Stannis held that through the siege, we've heard before. And so mm-hmm. it appears Ned arrived and helped break the siege. And then Stannis went and took Dragonstone, uh, where Danny and Viserys baby Danny and Viserys were taken by Sir Willem Derry, fled in the night. Elia, the mother, had already... I'm sorry, it's not Elia. Elia is Rhaegar's wife. I'm getting this completely wrong. Ignore the name. They only talk about the queen here. Regardless, right. the queen yeah. had died in Daenerys's birth, and Danny and Viserys fled from Dragonstone before Stannis got there. So the places being listed here, like you already pointed out, all have some connection to the royal family. The Trident, that's where Rhaegar died. Mm-hmm. Sack of King's Landing is where the Mad King died. Storm's End, if you weren't there, maybe you were doing some military action. This has less of a tie to the royal family. Or else with the queen, the now crowned Prince Viserys, and this, at this stage, baby. And these are members of the King's Guard. They they have a duty to the king and to the king's family, and they weren't in any of these locations. And I wanted to just double check and confirm, right? Jamie Lannister was also member of the King's Guard, correct? Like he was also yes. like at the, that Kingslayer is because he was a King's Guardsman at the time who then slew the king. Yeah. So the the line, the specific line, when King's Landing fell, Sir Jamie slew your king with a golden sword, and I wondered where you were. Far away, Sir Gerald said, or Eris would yet sit the Iron Throne, and our false brother would burn in seven hells. I'll say, I mean, it's so just just even drawing a line right at where you've left off about all of this. I mean, I I really this has been such a fun opening page and a half of this chapter. I love when we start to get into the fantasy side of this fantasy mm-hmm. book, the dreamscape having these otherworldly men, the fact that they're intense adversaries, that three versus seven is not an easy fight for the seven, that it won't be, and Ned understands this and has expressed this. I'll add, too, that it's interesting to see, and I'll give a lot of credit to George R. R. Martin here as well, it's interesting to see our world expand just a little more than it has been. We're, we're, We're still about halfway through, a little over halfway through this book, we're meeting some characters that we haven't been introduced to, but it's my first time that I really realized and thought about the Kingsguard being more than just Jamie, you know, for for the Targaryen, for for uh, for right. Iris. And so we have we have met some other Kingsguard, but they've all been kind of bit part players. Exactly. Sir Barristan, we have Marin Trant, mm-hmm. uh, Sir Boros has been mentioned a few times. Like we've just gotten some names here and there that have not really had significant roles. I'll add to, and we didn't talk about it yet, but. Uh, the the I I did like that the six that are with Ned in this dream are more wisps and 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 wraiths than than yeah. real physical form. He kind of again that sort of echo of memory. But these three Kingsguard these characters are very much present, very physically tangibly present. Yeah, and it's interesting too, especially when you consider how this sequence ends, how this fight seems to end. 
But the six that are with Ned, he says he can't remember their faces anymore. But they're also barely referenced mm-hmm. elsewhere. You know, we have ties into the story. We, and we have this one previous mention of Helen Reed. And you compare that to the faces he remembers so clearly of these Kingsguard knights who are legends who Bran thinks about, oh, I want to be them, at least two of the three. These are people he thinks so clearly about. And that plays also into what you were just talking about with respect to the the evenness of the fight. You know, these people are living up to that legend. They are living up to the songs that talk about them because even with them significantly outnumbered, Ned is still worried. I'll say too that it's it it became interesting for me to reflect and I, you even you know mentioned this too you know the brand chapter where he was going through some of these characters and even just now you know these are sort of the heroes of their time but it's interesting for me to realize and recognize that as a reader i'm given very like very deliberate yet limited slices of character experience especially as they're told by a different character. So Bran is sharing this slice of how he understands this character and right. now Ned is sharing this slice And it's fun to start seeing some of these slices get tied together. Ned's experience actually potentially knowing, you know, uh, Arthur Dane, you know, versus Bran's understanding of the hero of Arthur Dane. And and it's just interesting to see some of this come together. Yeah, it it definitely is. And I'll say it seems like Ned's reflection of these men is is positive, uh, despite them having fought against each other. So it lines up in that sense. But it is worth mentioning it seems clear, at least in the dream, that these three men die at Ned's hand or the hand of his friends. And that is very firmly not a part of Bran's thought process relating to right. this. You'd think if there are these stories and these tales about them, the fact that they died at the hand of Ned Stark, the wolf, you know, like that that would make its way into the stories, particularly into the way the stories are told around Winterfell. And it seems like they haven't been for some reason. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I. I read these pages and this sort of dream experience to this point as as a memory, right? Mm-hmm. That he's 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 reflecting on an experience, but that did cross my mind as well. Is this seems like a huge event? This seems yeah. like a huge event to demand respect from the Lannister clan, to demand respect from you know what I mean? Things that don't seem to be true in the reality, the non-dream world for Ned. And well, it certainly hasn't been brought up by anybody right. else, you right. know, so this is whatever happened here. Ned has not been publicizing it. And I think that that's worth noting. And, and that certainly fits with his character and what we know of him. He doesn't seem like somebody to go around and boast, certainly not about killing these men that he seems to have respect for. Right. But the fact that this did not make waves, broader waves that, you know, somebody like a Marillion is writing a song about it and going and playing the song around the country. Uh Seems notable. Uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, only that, you know, I think you were even like alluding to this idea earlier just a moment ago, but is this memory or is this a dream? Right. And, and I, and I do wonder about that. The fact is, is that it's one thing for the King's guards to not be mentioned because they're insignificant. They fell with the King sort of thing. It's -hmm. another thing for their absence to go unnoticed. Uh, throughout this whole half of a book that we've read about all of this. We've heard about the fight on the Trident. We've heard about the slaying of the king. One would think that the tales would include the fact that not only did his king's guard, Jamie, Jamie Lannister, you know, like, uh, like slay this king, but that the rest of them were absent during this. 
So we do know that there are seven members of the Kingsguard. We know that. Uh, mm-hmm. And we know that Barristan Selmy was on the trident and ended up being severely wounded because we heard the story about how Robert uh, pardoned him and brought right. him back right. into the fold. And then there's two names that we have not heard that are missing. Who knows where else they were? But specifically, these three were not present. And that's a perfect cycle back. You can't avoid this. What do you think is going on there? Why were they here? What's going on? I... Why are they at this tower near Dorne instead of guarding members of the royal family? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, I, you know, I pointed out Dorne is a geographic, you know, location that's mentioned. But because of how unmentioned it's been, this is a sort mm-hmm. of unknown land to me down here in the south. We don't. Yeah, maybe it'll it. help to bring it up a little bit. Our really only connection that we've seen to Dorne so far, they were royalist, as best we can tell, because Elia of Dorne was Rhaegar's wife. So the future queen, when he ascends to the throne, would be Dornish. Uh, so that's they were seem to have been tied into the royal family in that sense. Uh, so you can think that maybe being closer to that territory or in that territory, uh, it's unclear whether they're actually in it or not, but that there is some connection to the, the Targaryen regime in that sense. So I think so, so I going going back to what you were asking, you know, sort of my conceptions here and perceptions, and and I'll say this. Number one, I just enjoyed this piece of fantasy yeah. writing here. Number two, it reminded me very strongly of the fantasy book that I read before this, which we had talked about the a Brandon little. Brandon Sanderson book, yeah. Yeah, which I think was a, a Way of Kings or something or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. But I'll say that that book actually started with uh, the sort of, I, I don't remember the very, very specifics, but the book starts with, I think it's seven. I'm not trying to make a parallel between numbers here, right? But it's some group, some small group of extremely high-powered knights who are fighting a very valiant battle at the end of this battle saying, we're going to disband. We're Mm -hmm. disbanding this. We're no longer interested in this fight and going away and going kind of into the mist. And then those characters are left alone for a long time. You really don't hear, as I remember, throughout the rest of the book. I'm I'm not saying that I'm not trying to make any criticisms, right? One author took from another as much as, wow, what a fun uh, homage for me, right? I don't know which book even came first. But what a fun relationship, this fantasy trope of these really, uh, you know, not not angelic, but these sort of incredibly powerful, you know, knights, images of these fighters who are mysterious, that seem to have their own story with not a lot of context that I assume will go somewhere. I get the sense, and I feel weird saying it this way, but I feel like, I feel like there's a story in this book series in mm-hmm. game in, in a song of ice and fire that i'm actually haven't been introduced yet to you yeah know, you know we talked about this a song of ice and fire hasn't been mentioned yet you know there's there's something going on that i think is wouldn't surprise me to be revealed much later in the books you know that will make a right. lot of things fall together and i feel like this is one of those things something's going on in the south there's there's something brewing down there or some, you know, golden arc that's down there that these three knew that, hey, when the kingdom starts to fall, we must protect this first before okay. the king. But I have no yeah. reason. There's no basis. It's just, I don't know. So so one last question for you on this before we keep moving, because, you know, it's, it's understandable that you don't have a way to tie this together, mm-hmm. but you did just kind of hint at it there's something for them to protect when the kingdom starts falling apart are they here fulfilling their duties or are they in some way shirking their duties as members of the king's guard 
See, this is this was again like, and I know I'm not giving a lot of context to the Brandon Sanderson book, but this was sort of the same <laughs> okay. feeling that I had about that moment. These are, you know, it's almost like there's some sort of secret society that these are part of, where as part of it, their duty is to protect the king, but that's as a way to hold a position so that they can actually protect this holy grail of something somewhere. Okay. And that, and that, so when push comes to shove, their job is to protect the king. But when shove comes to kill, they need to actually stand to what that true level is or that that actual like defending thing. I'll say too, it's not lost on me that no one else is talking about anything like this right. uh, of the characters we've met. Ned has no interest in something way down. So Ned has no interest besides just being like retired in Winterfell. Yeah, he doesn't even want to be in King's Landing. Let yeah, alone Robert Baratheon south. doesn't even want to be king. Baelish and the other, you know, sort of like a uh, small councilman, they all seem to have their own personal needs. Viserys, the, you know, the the heir of Targaryen, he's not trying to like he just wants restore to the faith of some incredible thing. Right. You know, he just wants a throne. This is the first time that there feels like there might be something additional that's not being talked about. Yeah. I'll add okay. to the only last thing that I'll add, and this is as a reference back to the TV show, and a very, very brief memory I have from the TV show is something to do with magic. And I can't even put my finger on it. I think there was a a witch or something, like some woman okay. who was a witch who had like a, a smoke baby, I think. I don't I don't remember, but I wonder, okay. like we haven't seen anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I wonder if this might be an, some allusion to something else, but I really don't know. These knights don't seem to be ashamed of their actions. These knights seem to say, yeah, if we were there, we would have won. But of course we weren't there. We are here. They also keep referencing their duties. They, they say, mm-hmm. you know, we don't kneel, we don't flee. So it exactly. does sound like they're still acting. And, uh, you know, this is what you were implying. And I'm just kind of backing that up a little mm-hmm. bit. It seems like they were still doing what they were supposed to do. We have left one piece of the dream sequence mm-hmm. out before we get to the conclusion that I want to rope into this conversation here. Because it opens with Ned dreaming of three knights in white cloaks and a tower long fallen and Leanna in her bed of blood. And the sequence ends with Sir Arthur Dane saying, and now it begins. And no, thinks Ned, now it ends. He could hear Lyanna screaming his name as they fought. He thinks again of the promise that we've talked about before and then wakes up to the sound of somebody else saying his name. So with this fight sequence, with this battle sequence he has against the three Kingsguard knights, we've now injected Lyanna into the mix and it's unclear how, but somehow her death and the promise he made to her is being pulled into this situation by his subconscious. So I was hoping you could actually remind me and refresh my memory. Do we know how Lyanna died? We've heard something about like a fever and we've heard about the bed of blood before, but that's, yeah. we don't know concretely how Not she died. Not a direct now. thing. And Do you have thoughts it, on it? Well, no-ish. <laughs> like, not okay. good thoughts. Uh, what, what I mean is that like, there's, I'll, I'll say it from how I'm thinking and understanding it to this extent, right? Robert Baratheon, this, you know, is fighting to honor his dead beloved and betrothed right right? like they were betrothed i'm pretty sure Betrothed, Uh, not married robert has cast these these strong what seems to be very firm accusations saying that rhaegar raped her that Mm -hmm. she was a victim at the hands of the targaryens and he does seem to blame her for he talks about avenging Lyanna by killing Rhaegar. So he seems yeah. to blame Rhaegar for her death. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, so, so there seems, so there was a time when I thought that maybe Rhaegar had done something physical to her, but it, again, clearly like that hasn't been said directly. It's just sort of mm-hmm. alluded to or assumed. 
at the same time, we have this sort of like Liana, Liana requesting, you know, you know, secret or 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 whatever it is from Ned. You know, you know, keep my right. you, you promise. There, there's a promise made here. Obviously, she's coming up again here. I am becoming more and more. I, we had talked about this a little while ago, and this isn't particular to this moment in this chapter, but just Liana as a character. I okay. do think that there is a relationship between Liana and Jon Snow. Okay. Uh, I do think you know, like that, a, a parent he, relationship, yeah, or that she might be his. I mean, she's his, his aunt. Mother. Okay. Yeah. Well, that she might be his his mother, and that that maybe the promise. And again, these, this is all speculation, right? Like uh-huh. maybe the promise is Ned, do not share Jon Snow's you know, actual lineage. And that's the promise that he keeps. I having her appear here. Like don't, don't share that John is Leanna's kid and that it's his nephew, Ned's nephew. I mean, that like, why? Oh, I was thinking that maybe it was Rhaegar's kid. So oh, Rhaegar okay. and Lyanna had a relationship. The idea that a Stark and a Targaryen for some reason would be, you know, taboo or that it was inappropriate or I, again, speculation okay. entirely, but because and w- with Liana's death, don't implicate, or I was going to say don't implicate Rhaegar, but in fact, maybe the opposite. Don't put John's life in danger by letting everyone know that he's the actual heir to this throne as a Targaryen. Oh, okay. So, so you think that he, like, this would be legitimate in some way and that he'd be under threat from that? Yeah, but I know we've talked about bastards, and he still would have been a bastard anyway because Rhaegar was married to somebody else. I think, like, yeah, like, uh, so I, I don't know. Obviously, like going away. I will say, coming back to the dream sequence. So, so that's where my mind is. Jon Snow, Lyanna, you know, this sort of promise and the Ned that it has to make. I'll say that her presence here is confusing to me. Not, not confusing. Like, why is she here? But there's something like interestingly, you know, not paradoxical, but the pulls in two different directions about how she's seen here. Don't forget your promise, she's saying, is what Ned's remembering. And she's in the bed of blood. The Is this a sign that these three characters that we're seeing here, these three Kingsguardsmen, had something to do with her death? Or yeah. is she Did saying- they kill her? Right. Or is it the opposite? The promise is, you know, these are people to spare somehow or to not implicate in some other way and promise me that while you remember me being dead and you owe it to my death or something. I don't think I'm making a lot of sense, and I don't think a lot of this is rooted or okay. based on anything. But I'm it's interesting, in, though. It's intrigued, interesting. and I want to know answers. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I followed all of that. Um, I guess there could be some aspect to it about sparing the Three Kingsguard or not getting revenge on them if they caused her death in some way. Um, that's all. That's all interesting. I get that. Yeah. So I don't. So all of that to say, I have no idea if this is a real memory or just a dream. I have no idea if these three guards have some larger honor to serve than just their Kingsguard duty or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening in Dorne. I have no idea how Liana died. I don't understand Jon Snow's relationship to Liana, if any at all. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't understand what the promise is that Liana begged Ned to keep that he seems to be keeping. Okay. But with that said, they all seem to have something to do with one another, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to skip ahead very briefly just to round out this story here. Because after okay. Ned wakes up, he thinks back on it again. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get the resolution of the situation, which certainly uh, helps support your idea that this was real outside of just the dreamscape. He thinks how Jory's father, Martin, was buried in the South where he died. 
And then he thinks about how he tore down the tower, which Rhaegar had named the Tower of Joy, tore down the tower and used the stones to make cairns, to make mm-hmm. make gravestones effectively for the eight that had died, which was everyone but him and Howland Reed. So right. five of the seven have died and all three of the Kingsguard Knights, it appears. Oof, and then there's a whole chapter that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is like the first four pages here, uh, but it's such good stuff. Indeed. Um, I will say, though, that with that, the dream becomes just that sort of a dream, right? Like, like when we move, we are brought strongly back to the present moment. Ned in bed with his broken leg, uh, having to deal with the politics of his situation. Mm-hmm. He's informed uh, that the king wants to see him. Yeah, Veon Pool, the steward, woke him up and lets him know. He is reminded, sadly, that his, uh, what is it, King Guardman, his his main it's guard. It's the captain of the guard. Captain Jory, of the yeah. guard. Jory is no longer with him. Someone else is there to replace him. He uh, did. He did. And then, uh, and basically, like, like, right, chapter moves forward. Okay, great. Get the king. Let him come. He finds out that the king is yeah. going to show up gets, with queen yes he he first he gets an update from his new captain of the guard so uh this guy alan we hear mm-hmm. has been appointed captain of the guard now uh and he gets this update from alan about the general lay of the land here which i think is helpful jamie after their flight after their fight fled went back presumably to Castle rock to join tywin everyone knows about cat arresting Tyrion, uh so that has caused all sorts of problems we hear an update on the girls. Sansa has been scared. She's been with him every night and praying. Meanwhile, Arya is more angry than scared. Yeah, she's pissed. And Jory's remains and the others have been sent north uh, to bury with their families in right. the north where they're from. Um, with that said, the rest of this chapter happens pretty steadily. Uh, Robert Baratheon, King the king shows up with queen in stride to sort of confront ned and talk with him uh robert's pissed about the whole situation and cersei is her typical cold nasty self Robert Uh, alternately seemed pissed and uh worried about ned to me you know he he really was checking up on him are you okay are you hurting a lot what can i do for you there's he wants the whole situation to be done. He doesn't want yeah. to deal with it. He, you know, Ned, get your shit together. But he is primarily conciliatory, I would say, even. And Cersei really gets angry about that. She is mad at Ned and wants to see Ned punished. But that's not really the, the tack that Robert's taking here. I'll add, too, that we find out that the story that's been told and sort of sowed about the situation that had happened is different than the experience that we had had viewing it so the story as it seems that the king understands that i don't remember if jamie told this story but it seems like baelish told this story or or the the story I was think, ned i think and baelish, spoke to cersei and then okay. baelish kind of confirmed it yeah but the story that it seems to be like kind of woven right now is ned was leaving a, a brothel drunk right and you know kind of like saw jamie and then started some shit yeah, uh, you know, I mean, and, it doesn't look good for Ned. He is returning from a brothel. That's yeah. confirmed. And from that, we get into the next story beat where he says, look, and like, listen, I was yeah, I was returning from that because I was looking at your daughter, you right. know, uh, you know, Robert, like, like, I'm cleaning up your messes and you know me better than this. You know, I wouldn't be drunk at a brothel. There's no way I would do that. Uh, Cersei kind of continues to snipe and say Robert, like, to his credit, buys that like he, yeah. he's like, yeah, you're right. Like, 
yes, I did go to that brothel and have this kid. I don't want to talk about it in front of my wife, but fine. That's all plausible to me. And also it's plausible to me that you weren't there to do anything. Cause that's just not who Ned Stark is. I will add too that it confused me a little bit to hear that Baelish was telling this tale uh, that it, that he wasn't firmly stating the situation as as we had seen it unfold. Right. Uh, we know Baelish to try to like play all sides right now that he seems to just really only be concerned about himself. I was surprised by this because, you know, this is this is potentially still the hand of the king it's not clear if yes or no ned will won't be you know it, it seems like he's yeah let's let's not weird... put words yeah let's not put words in little finger's mouth here what we have uh robert says i've talked to little finger he claims he rode off to bring the gold cloaks before the fighting began which is true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he admits you were returning from some whorehouse which is also true yeah so you're right he is not as authoritative jamie came riding to up to us looking to start a fight as he could have been okay. based on yeah. what we saw but this isn't totally off base and you know you're talking about him playing all sides i don't even know if i would go that far from a matter of self-preservation tell the truth keep the truth right yeah neutral and balanced you know ned's in a coma right now he's he's being treated by the maester he gave up the hands for fair meanwhile the queen's still here jamie's causing problems like yeah i saw a conflict start to happen i left to call the cops by the time i got back i found ned on the ground Right. That's, that's my that's story. Fair. Yeah, I guess part of me was reading into it is like, wow, he seems to be anti the actual situation, which seems weird, not for his character as much as for the fact that Ned could wake up like he, right. that he would have to eat this much faster than he seems to have to eat the other situations he's put himself in. Yeah, uh, I think it's notable that he he seems to have walked that line successfully, which maybe makes it seem a little intentional uh, in terms of how he approached it. You know, if Ned wakes up, He's not going to say I lied about anything, but if he doesn't wake up, I'm not going to get in trouble with anybody. I'll add too that the king makes a comment, and this is actually a little earlier than where we we actually are in this chapter right now. But I thought this 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 comment really summed up the the situation. The king says, "Abductions on the king's road and drunken slaughter in my streets. I will not have it, Ned." And the fact is, is that like we, the reader who have experienced these situations, may understand more of the nuance, but I can understand how this is how it looks <laughs> you know, yeah. like i also i need to give you message. credit here that this was kind of your prediction as to how he'd react to the cat and Tyrion situation of saying deal with it you know yeah. I, this is not my problem you guys are causing issues for me you're making the realm get violent i can't have the great houses doing this i'm not going to sit in judgment and come to a decision you guys just figure your shit out and, and you suggested that and uh you were correct perfectly in line with robert and then uh right Good. I'm so smart. Uh, no, but yeah, I mean, like well, this, I mean, he's demonstrated this kind of like opinion before, right? Like, I don't think it's, right. it's terribly, it takes, it takes a great seer to, to sort of think of that. He seems very much so to the extent he gets involved in justice to be the, you know, shake hands and get past it, like rub right. some dirt on it. Everybody be friends again. I'm not, I'm not going through the complicated process of mediating these issues. I, uh, he, yeah like like and and again not much really changes here right so he the conversation continues we have these three personalities in the room and with that said they all sort of hold to what we've known their personalities to be ned says we need i don't know you don't think this is a this is an escalation this is a serious escalation uh between robert and cersei in my view and um i don't want to undercut it it kind of reminds me of earlier on without 
getting too far ahead of ourselves when when Tyrion slaps Joffrey there's this moment where it's kind of the violence feels deserved feels warranted because these characters are being assholes but you take a step back and this is a big burly man slapping the crap out of his wife and that you know that is a different in in type type of relationship between Robert and Cersei from what we've seen before Interesting. I wasn't as shocked by it. Okay. Uh, I'm not I, saying I, it's I, out yeah. of character. I'm just saying yeah. it's an escalation. Well, I guess there's a part of me that something that I was thinking about while I was reading this chapter, just to sort of like in my mind, is Joffrey's like 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I think like like or it's been about 15 years yeah, since, 14 since 15, Robert yeah. took, took the throne. Like this is not. I think it's easy to look at this situation and how how recently we the reader have been introduced to it right like right. we all we came into this maybe gosh only six months ago eight months ago maybe there's no clear delineation of time right yeah, now but probably maybe, shorter maybe than that, a frankly. year at the most yeah, yeah so maybe even shorter but the fact is is that like it doesn't seem like there was once such strong emotional connection between Cersei and Robert it doesn't yeah. seem like things have like gotten colder over time it seems like this has just kind of been what it's been. It wouldn't right. surprise me if there's been some nasty violence between Robert and Cersei and Cersei to take it the way that she took it here, which is, I'm going to wear this as a, what did she say? As a badge of. Badge of honor. As yeah. a badge of honor. And he says, I hope you wear it with a badge of silence. silence. Well, he said, wear it in silence or I'll honor you again, yeah. uh, which is is quite a response. Yeah, it's definitely uh there's a coldness between them and a harshness between them that I agree seems like it's been pretty steady since they got together. We do know this was an arranged marriage for political reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly Robert has always, as long as we've known him, been obsessed with the girlfriend before her. So presumably that dates back to the beginning of this relationship. So uh, that's totally fair. I think it's also worth talking about what causes Robert to lash out here because this is a theme that we've seen with him that I don't really have many takeaways from it, but I at least want to note, she calls him out on his manhood. And this very consistently has been the thing to set him off that we've seen a number of times. She says here, uh, after Robert says, be done with it, Ned says, this is unjust. My men were slaughtered. You're really going to let it sit here. Cersei says the Targaryens wouldn't have allowed a subject to be disrespectful like this. Robert says, do you think I'm like heiress? And she says, I took you for a king. This man dishonors you with every breath he takes, and yet you stand there meekly. What a jape the gods have made of us to you. By all rights, you ought to be in skirts and me in male. And that's when he hits her. And it just so fits in perfectly with his character, this guy that drinks and fucks and fights. And his favorite time in his life was when he was younger and he was out at war and killing and fighting and this is all he wants to do with himself this kind of distillation of of really what we've talked about with Bran and these stories in this martial atmosphere that the only slight to him or to the kingship to the throne that he responds to with force is an attack on his manhood is an attack on his ability to fulfill and play that gender role and it's been such a consistent theme for so many characters throughout the course of this book that to see the way this is curdled for him and become this source of violence, I think, is is notable and very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I hear that. I actually even marked a line a little bit a little bit later in the chapter, which where he uh, 
he's talking, Cersei has now left and he's just talking to Ned. And, and every time this happens, he sort of like calms a little bit and shares a little mm-hmm. more emotional vulnerability. But he says, you know, I was always strong. No one could stand before me. No one. How do you fight someone if you can't hit them? I think, you know, to to your, you know, exactly what you're saying, right? This is in, in I think the simplest of ways. And this is the way that I think about it is he's a pretty one dimensional character and he's sort yeah. of out of his element and not anywhere where he wants to be. I think in a weird way, he, he is like young Bran in the sort yeah. of like fantasy. I, I, I thought I'd be king and have the love of my life in my arms. And then now that I'm king, it would just be a utopia and, and I could just drink and be with my love. Even though we know the reality, like Liana told Ned, you know, he's, he sleeps with everyone, you know, like we know that this is, he's a fantasy of, he wants to be a fantasy version of himself and he can't be, Uh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it in the gender role as much as like the, the, the prodding of provocation uh, right. and, and all of that, but I, it's the same thing. I think six of one and half a dozen of the other, right? Like, absolutely. They're all wrapped together. I think it's also interesting, like you pointed out to see how quickly he gets hot and how quickly he cools down. And this isn't the first time we've seen it in him, but there's this sense of shame wrapped up in it that yeah. I think really shines through here. You know, he instantly feels bad. He says that was not kingly, which again is terminology that brings in this gender aspect. He was not living up to the role that he's supposed to be playing. And, you know, it's it's two sides of the exact same coin that both operate in this toxic sense, where on the first half of it, he's not playing the role. Cersei accuses him of not playing the role of the man, and that causes him to grow angry and lash out. But then his failure to play the role of the man in terms of the patriarch, in terms of the leader, in terms of the head of household, causes him to feel this shame and the difficulty that comes from that. And you can see how those kind of encouragements uh, in opposite directions, in negative opposite directions, would lead somebody to drink all the time and have a bunch of sex and try and forget about it and try and avoid it. And when you think about, you know, what might, what life might make him happiest, he talks about being a mercenary going out on the road and selling his sword, or you could imagine him being a gladiator somewhere as a slave fighter winning Mm. glory with that. Those are sad lives and, and, and oppressive lives and really hard. I mean, we see it with Jorah Mormont who was that mercenary in exile uh, there's just such a deep sadness to it that he's stuck in this role that makes him feel atrocious uh, in every possible direction and can't find a way to escape it. Yeah, I think I'd take it simpler than that, to be honest. I, and I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, but you know, I think that he's. <laughs> I think he's simple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't. No, think- I don't think any of this is conscious for him. Yeah, at oh, all. Okay, I don't yeah. think he has. I think Robert's therapy sessions would involve a lot of figuring this out over the course of years. Like, sure. (laughs) I don't think any of this has ever occurred to him. He thinks, you know, I get to drink and sleep with whoever I want and get fat and eat the best food. Why is that not working? Why am I not happy? He he has not even reached the point of figuring out how to ask that question. Well, I want to say it. And I I really believe this is, is that I think that he's just not fit to be a King. And I think everyone knows it. Ned knows it and is seeing it more and more. I think Ned was like, had the luxury to be oblivious to it up in the North for 15 years after the war and living sort of peacefully and securely. But he came down to King's Landing and saw really what a mess it is down there and really where the problems are. I think Cersei and the Lannisters as an extension of Cersei really are hyper aware of this. I think the King's Council is very aware of this. I think, you know, he's the only one sort of in the dark to himself. And that makes him kind of a, a danger to everyone else, uh, you know, or somebody to take advantage of. Right. That that seems fair. 
I will say I do want to just oh, yeah, before ahead. we move forward, sure. uh, you mentioned that line, how do you fight someone if you can't hit them, uh, which seems to be talking about Cersei, but then he immediate, immediately pivots to Rhaegar won, damn him. He died at my feet. They made up songs about it, yet somehow he still won. He has Lyanna now, and I have her, meaning Cersei. So it feels to me like this applies in both directions. You know, how can you how can you fight someone you can't hit, referring to his wife who he shouldn't be hitting, but how can you fight somebody who's already dead? And this seems such a perfect summary of the trauma that he's been dealing with all book. He just wants yeah. to keep fighting that same fight over again. Well, yeah, but I think the other way to think about it, which is still the same thing at the end, is like all he knows how to do is hit. Right. Like, you know, he's just in situations that don't allow hitting right now. And he's at a bit of a loss. It's like, I mean, I we said it already. Dreams. I want to hit. Yeah, but so we said it already. The way, the way you fight the demons, the ghosts of the people you killed in the past, is you go, you go to <laughs> you fucking go to therapy, therapy, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> That's the book that I want to read is like, the th- you know, the Maester the Sopranos at King's Landing. The chapter ends quickly thereafter. Uh, basically, Robert turns to Ned and says, I'm rejecting your resignation. Yeah. You will stay the hand of the king. He gives him back that sort of sigil, that badge that the hand of the king wears. And Ned says, well, what about the Targaryen girl, right? Like you're going to not. And he says, nope, shut the hell up about that. Ned says, well, what good is it to be the king's hand if you won't listen to me? And he says, shut up. And that kind <laughs> yeah. of rounds out the chapter. And that's that's sort of where we leave it. So specifically, shut up. I'm going on a hunt. And when, right. when I come back, we can talk more. But for now, I'm going to go kill something. Um, and then he also closes things out. This just relates back to earlier in the book with the warden's conversation. Mm. Uh, if you try to quit again, I'm giving the damn badge to Jamie. Um, so just another, you know, this threat of the Lannisters is really keeping Ned in line here, it seems. And I think, by the way, that that's probably the most politically astute thing that Robert's done and continues yeah. to do. He knows that not only is he saying this to piss off Ned, but it's a bad move. It's pol- like a horribly like a, a horrible political move to continue to reward the Lannisters and give them all of this power. Uh, and, and I think he, he kind of knows it and is able to kind of throw that in Ned's face, which I think is cute. Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming to the end of this chapter here and we have Ned coming back to life out of his coma, but we've got a lot of conflict brewing. Uh, we've got issues between Cersei and Ned We've got issues between Starks and Lannisters writ large, and we've got Robert saying, you guys deal with it, I'm getting out of here. Uh, is that plausible? Do you think that's where, where we're going next? Are they going to bury the hatchet? Or, or what What other ideas do you have for where we're turning next and how this conflict is going to continue to brew? Well, I think the most interesting thing about this chapter is that nothing was resolved. Right. Uh, you know, the only thing that was resolved was that Robert feels more content in his situation saying Ned's back to be hand of the King and he's going on a hunt. Uh, he, and he's going to continue yeah. to do what he always does, which is sort of ignore the situation. I, uh, nothing was done about Tyrion. You know, there was no decisions made there about what needs to happen. Right. Uh, just deal with it. Just nothing deal was done with, with Jamie or the Jamie is still fine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Everything's sort of left. And, and I, I have no idea what the directions are about to be. I think that, you know, the situation as it was at the beginning of this chapter is the same as it was at the end of this chapter, right. except Ned's back his hand to the king and stuck there. Right. Um, from what we've seen so far, I would guess that there, my assumption is that there will be sort of microaggression reprisals from Lannisters. It wouldn't surprise me to see Joffrey being a big shit to Sansa more because that's how okay. Cersei could potentially get to the Starks, you know, through the, 
but everybody seems kind of like stuck in this situation because of you the- have yeah you you've predicted in the past that there would be a Lannister military reprisal um from Tywin and now Jamie is apparently with Tywin is that something you still think is going to happen or is that less likely now that Ned is hand of the king again and awake and, and working with Robert that it's going to maybe ratchet back down a little bit at, in the strength of response from the Lannisters well to be quite honest about it I think that Lannister military reprisal would have been more realistic if it hadn't landed on the king's plate right I uh, you know if this was Catelyn the Stark kidnapped slash arrested Tyrion the Lannister Tywin the Lannister went and did what families do which is make reprisals you know the the sort of Cersei Lannister and Robert Baratheon King relationship could kind of be almost sidestepped right uh from a Lannister point of view now that it's in front of the King it's kind of what Tyrion was saying is like let the King ask for judgment and nobody could but now that you know like now there's and it also invites you don't want to become the bad guy in this context you don't want right. to be the one to throw the first punch so to speak so far he's saying okay you guys have you've each hit each other leave it there and right. if you're the next one to make a big move that becomes uh it puts you in the firing line so yeah i i i've already read the next chapter which we'll talk right. about in a moment <laughs> yeah this is a perfect segue uh you know but but yeah i think that that from from this moment I think everybody's kind of stuck until the king makes a decision one way or another. Everybody has to kind of like, like kind of keep their holding pattern right now. And mm-hmm. the only person that really sucks for is Tyrion. And we're about to see what happens to Tyrion right now. One one last question before we move into the Tyrion sure. or the Catelyn chapter, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked before in Ned's chapters about threats on the king. And so this stasis that we're in right here, the status quo that we're working with really relies on the king, like you were just saying. Is somebody going to make a move in that direction, potentially? Try and upset that apple cart again, or no? Well, I don't know. I mean, the two mystery characters, the Illyrio and the other character who were kind of talking mm-hmm. about, like, let's let's foment stuff, wanted to wait and press pause on that. You know, can we find a way to do that? Right. You know, we definitely have... I like what Tyrion said, I think a chapter or two ago, or even just last chapter, where he was saying he's getting the sense that there's a third party here. It's not just mm-hmm. the dire wolf and the stag. There, there's somebody else right. potentially playing here. And uh and so who knows what they'll do. Yeah, exactly. So they continue to be like sort of a wild card in all of this. I don't know what it means. It would be surprising to me if the only the only and you know sort of threat sorry let me say this better the there seems to be a third party with an agenda that we have yet to understand that's sort of putting their hands on the scales in different ways right the other party that could do something i think is cersei and sort of by extension lannisters and i don't think it would make any sense for her to do anything right now uh so that's that's kind of where my mind's at that makes sense so let's let's keep moving Callan six Catlin six so uh as as we've seen with most of the Catlin chapters uh th- at least for me these are pretty straightforward there's not a lot mm-hmm. of sort of like internal turmoil and and sort of weird you know subplots going on there's sort of a very right. clear thing going on here we are back we are now continuing from the Tyrion experience that we had 
Tyrion has asked for trial by combat. He has has his champion uh, sort of selected. This is coming from the last chapter, which is Bronn, yeah. the sort of sellsword that has been with them. Catelyn is recognizing the deterioration of her sister's mind and sanity yeah. uh, little bit by little bit um, and is sort of disgusted by the whole situation at this point. She wants to, and she'll say it a few times in this chapter as we go over it, but sort of remind her sister, this is my prisoner. Maybe you should right. s- like take a breath. Uh, slow down here. And we we have towards the end of this chapter, the actual trial by combat, and we sort of see how that resolves. Yeah. Um, but overall, especially coming from Catelyn's point of view, I find her just kind of a little disgusted by this whole situation. She was hoping to find, uh, I think, a, a friend in her sister and a, and and somebody to, like a comrade to help somebody her. who would work with her. Yeah, that you know, maybe not necessarily that Cat would control, but that she would be have more control over this situation, at least in a collaborative sense, than she does. Where Lysa has kind of taken it out of her hands almost entirely. Exactly. Um. So we start, it's basically the morning of when this trial by combat is going to happen. We're with Catelyn. We're still in the veil. Yeah. And Catelyn's kind of bemoaning her situation. <laughs> yeah, it starts pretty ominously with a little bit of background. We had heard before about Alyssa's tears, which is the waterfall mm-hmm. that comes off the mountain by the Erie and then kind of evaporates before it reaches the bottom. And we get the story behind this. Alyssa Aaron, uh, obviously a a very long time ago, leader of the Vale from the House of Aaron, her whole family had died. And it says, and yet in life, she had never shed a tear. And so this river is her tears in death, and she'll continue crying until it waters the veil below, which it never has. It never uh, is, yeah. So this is, is just kind of a perpetual sadness and depression surrounding the loss of family here. And Kat thinks of this story specifically because she wonders what her tears will look like when she dies. So <laughs> it's really quite an ominous start. I mean, obviously it's on her mind. There's been the the murder of John Aaron and Ned is now the hand of the king. There was the attack on Bran. She's very worried for her family, but this is not an auspicious thing to be thinking about to start the chapter off. We also get quickly thereafter uh, some news from Sir Roger Cassell basically saying, Jamie, the Kingslayer, is amassing a host, like like amassing a, a big army at Casterly yeah. Rock. He's getting people yeah. together. It looks like war is about to come. Yeah. And the Riverlands are prepping. Cat's uh, family in the Riverlands are prepping. Um, they had heard from Edmure, who is her brother. Her brother, um, that's right. Which concerns her because that means her dad must be fairly sick for Edmure to be writing instead of him um, because he's not the Lord yet. But specifically, Edmure is trying to figure out what the Lannisters mean to do. They're not really responding, but he has fortified uh, the the pass that guards the road from the Westerlands into the Riverlands um, so as to make sure that they're prepared for any possible invasion. Uh, she also starts to say, like, what more can we do here? It's really time for us to get going. Like, like this is a, a lost cause being here in, in the Vale, being here at the Eyrie. And we we need to be prepared for the violence that's about to come. Uh, let's start to make some preparations. Yeah. Um, and we find also, and I'm trying to find my note on it, but basically, what's his name? The Blackfish. Yes. Uh, he basically is is pissed as well. He was looking to get support to take, you know, men and a, a bit of an army of himself from this area up in the Erie uh, and the Vale itself to kind of like get ready to hold off what's about to come. Oh, no, no. So he wanted to get men together to go to River Run. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So so this is actually fascinating because he went to Lysa and said, give me a thousand men, a thousand knights. I'll go to River Run. 
our, our home where we're both right. from and help defend because it looks like there's going to be war starting there. And, you know, this is Kat's instinct, too. She had said she wanted to write to Hoster to warn him about what was coming. Now her thoughts are very much so there. Lysa, by contrast with the two of them, says, absolutely not. I'm not going anywhere. The men of the Vale are not going anywhere. They need to be here to protect Lord Robert and to protect me and to keep everything safe. And actually, I'm forbidding you to go because you're one of my subjects right now. You're not even allowed to go. That's right. Uh, and then Catelyn kind of turns around and says, why don't you come with me? I'll give you men and yeah. you take them to River Run. We need to basically accept that Lysa is a lost cause and it's time for us to to start making moves of our own. Uh, yeah. To take so care what of you, what's ours. What do you, what do you think's going on with Lysa? Like, why is she such a lost cause? I mean, Cat has such fond thoughts of her home. We've seen her in the Riverlands, thinking about her travels with her dad. She certainly has the instinct to protect them. Brendan, who we know had a big falling out with their father, also has the instinct to go protect the ancestral home. What's Lysa's deal? Well, I think that you know, simpler than you know, the simple answer is the clear answer. You know, we we've heard already that she's gone through real trials and tribulations over the years. She's had many mm -hmm. miscarriages. She does not feel secure. Her husband was, as she understands it, murdered. Uh, she feels like she everything is vulnerability, and I think that she's looking for security and safety as she understands she can find it exactly where she is. Right. You know, both the for herself that, and for her child. And her child, yeah, and and I think that. You know, I, I, like I, I, I can understand it, you know, is that, yeah, like, why would you if what you're looking for is security, then, of course, the idea of sending your men anywhere else, even just a small portion detracts from that. She's not a right. political player right now. She is simply looking out for herself. She wants revenge. She wants the, you know, the Lannisters to pay for what she understands to be the murder of her husband. She wants but it's the, she's not doing anything at a larger level than that right now. She feels like she's totally secure where she is and just defending herself. All right. That makes sense. So let's go to the trial. So we go to the trial. And I mean, like, that's basically what the rest of the chapter is. And it goes pretty straightforward. Where... Yeah, Kat first. Yeah, go ahead. Kat, Kat first goes to try one more time to talk Lysa out of it. So she she goes and meets Lysa. Uh, they're in what would have been the Erie Godswood, but they can't get any trees to grow there. Uh, all of the lords and knights are there. So it's once again this big to-do with a lot of pageantry. Lord Robert is sitting there and watching. Uh, uh, he's on a little child's throne watching a couple of puppet knights fight each other. This is very much so the playing at fighting that we kind of saw in the, the Sansa Tourney chapter. Um, and she goes to Lysa and says, you know, you need to not go through with this. There is a, I, I'm having a hard time right now, just, not because there's anything complicated, but because there's not, there is, there's sort of right. like a lot of like, what seems pretty inconsequential. It becomes pageantry. Like you're saying, there's already people drinking in the morning here, ready for this fight to happen. Lysa is in a good mood, ready to see Tyrion's, you know, sellsword get slain down. There is a conversation that jumps up that, uh, with that, Roderick, it's, right? It's actually with Mr. Coleman. Oh yeah. So, so, Kat and Roderick first talk briefly about the charges. Mm -hmm. uh, Kat says she's not so sure anymore. She does still think the Lannisters killed Jon Arryn, but no longer is sure that Tyrion was involved. 
Uh, she kind of right. says what you've been saying. Maybe it was the Lannisters as a general group. Right. Tyrion's guilty in that sense, but not specifically guilty. Uh, Roderick, interestingly, points out, you know, I could see this being Tyrion or Cersei, but Jamie would never use poison. Uh, right. He likes yeah. using his sword too much. And then they get interrupted by Maester Coleman. So why, why don't you take us away there? Well, yeah. And this was something that I thought was interesting as well, because I think that Maester Coleman kind of overhears something that 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 Catelyn's saying uh, about how yeah, sorry. And here's the line right here, right? She's referring to the child and saying that the, you know, the Talisa's son and saying that the boy is utterly without discipline. He will never be the, be strong enough to rule unless he's taken away from his mother for a time to which Mr. Coleman, who is already drinking <laughs> sort of chimes yeah. in probably out of turn, you know, that he shouldn't be saying this, but he basically says, uh, yeah, you know, that's what John Aaron actually was intending to do. He had every plan to send this child to Dragonstone right? Uh, to sort of be fostered there and, and to be as far as i can tell right like a ward yeah. over over there with with stannis is sort of the understanding correct yeah and this is this is the second time we've heard this mm-hmm. and the second time we've had this controversy that comes up the first time was when ned was in talking to people from john aaron's household mm-hmm. he heard the same thing about dragonstone but robert way back towards the beginning of the book had mentioned and catlin brings it up again here that yeah. after uh, the death of John Aaron, and separate from Lysa, there had been arrangements made to send the kid to Casterly Rock, Casterly and that was Rock. part of why Robert was upset that Lysa kind of snuck out of King's Landing without talking to him, because this was disrespectful to him and to Tywin. I'll say, though, that Coleman takes this contradiction from Catelyn and says, no, 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 you, you're definitely wrong. <laughs> like, right. Like, this is not not what he was he was looking to do, which... And and that's kind of the end of that conversation. They get interrupted and, and things start moving a different way. But I will say that it's it definitely something that stands out to me. I, I wonder if that part of me wonders if Lysa's making, well, what I want to say is like Lysa didn't want to send her kid to Dragonstone. So she's making up a bunch of shit. Yeah, maybe. But we do know that Robert said, yeah, we were going to send the kid to Casterly Rock like, like before Lysa took off with him. Uh, so I'm I'm a little confused here about the chronology of this did john aaron originally want dragonstone and then it got shifted to be casterly rock at some point or i'm I'm not really yeah certain. i mean we don't know the answer to that yeah. uh you know i think the multiple reports from people of john aaron's household uh about dragonstone seems to lend some credence to that side of things but certainly robert had thought that he had arranged it um, right with Casterly Rock. So so maybe there is some of each and there were shifting plans over the course of time. We we just don't have a concrete answer on that. But with that said, uh little little Lord Robert, the tiny uh disgusting little child who's here, uh says, I'm ready to see that little bad man fly. Let's get going. I want to have this happen. And uh and sure enough, out comes the champion for for the uh for, for Lysa and her son for for their their Yes, Sir Vardis. And I need to correct myself from last week. This Mm -hmm. is uh, the captain of the guard, not the master at arms. Um, Ah, okay, right. right. Not a crucial distinction, but uh, people like to be mad at people being wrong on the internet. So I figured I should correct myself. There you go. Uh, He comes out. He is head to toe covered in armor. Uh, He is looks like a knight. (laughs) You know, uh, he is given an enormous shield to protect himself with. He's also given... I think Lysa has asked him to use Lord Aaron's sword himself, like itself. Yeah. Itself. 
<laughs> Lord Aaron's sword, but crucially, it seems like an ornamental sword. She points yeah. out that this was the sword he wore when he sat on the throne, sitting in judgment in Robert's place. It does not seem to be, at least we get no indication that this was a sword he used for any purpose. Um, so, you know, like, like going back to the pageantry of it, that's really what we're seeing a lot of here. The guy's in really heavy, big armor. He is all done up he's got the same stuff that we saw from the tourney of the big things on his helmet mm -hmm. and the fancy painted things and the ornamental sword uh and meanwhile brawn is very lightly armored uh there with his basic sword but it is as sharp as cat has ever seen a sword uh -huh. like this man is pure business uh and more than pure business he is confident uh he seems to he knows that he's there to kill someone Whereas everyone else and Servardus being included seems like they're there to put on a show. Um, yeah, absolutely. Few pages are the fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is a fun fight, uh, but it kind of goes exactly the way that we would expect. Servardus is basically teased by Braun, and Braun does what makes sense, which is tires out this man in giant clunking armor. Yeah, um, it's worth noting also that, you know, all of the lords gathered there and Lysa in particular uh, don't really pick up on the strategy mm -hmm. that Ron is. But Sir Roderick specifically says, no, he's doing this on purpose. He saw the heavy armor. He knows this is an older guy. As long as he runs around for a little while, dodges and ducks and dives and dodges, he, uh, he'll tire him out and eventually he'll get the upper hand. Um, and, and it takes a while for other people to really pick up on the fact that Servardus is losing this fight. Right. I will say that there is a brief aside that happens where Catelyn is reminded of a fight that she saw as a younger woman, which was between who was then her betrothed, Brandon Stark, and Peter Baelish. Yeah. Uh, Baelish, I think, had challenged Brandon saying, you know, she's the love of my life. Uh, and right. And Catelyn begs Brandon to not kill this poor boy. Uh, but again, it sounds like that that fight in her memory was very similar, where it was, well, I don't know about similar, but it seemed one-sided, basically. Yeah. Brandon was basically beating Peter Baelish relentlessly, and Baelish would not yield until finally a blow hit him hard enough to kind of sit him down. Yeah. Uh, in contrast with this, also, she thinks back she's reminded of how brandon showed up also in heavy armor kind of similar to servardus and saw that baelish wasn't and kind of stripped down to right. negate that advantage you know baelish is we know a smaller guy um we don't know if brandon is but regardless he was not gonna he noted that and was like okay i'm gonna match him so that i can be quick as well and also better and that worked well and clearly servardus did not have the same thought process here um she's really reminded of that fight though because she thinks about how she's only really ever seen playing at violence, tourneys, practice in the yard, things of that nature. And so the fight that she's watching here between Braun and Servardus and that previous fight between Peter and Brandon are really the only instances she's had to deal with of genuine violence, of these people are trying to kill each other. There's actual risk involved. And that's just tied ties in so perfectly to a lot of the things we've talked about, particularly with Sansa, um, but also the you know, with Lord Robert earlier, the pageantry of this. There are people who are trying to avoid looking at this for what it is. And mm -hmm. Catelyn is not one of those people in this context. I'll say Servardus seems to feel the pain of the situation. He is getting exhausted. It's showing. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely tiring. It uh, Catelyn also mentions and points out in her own mind that Bronn seems to get stronger as the fight goes on. His hits are hitting harder and deeper than they had previously earlier on in the fight. The only last real note that I kind of made here 
is is finally Lysa is sort of sick of it and and, and says like, well, yeah. stop toying with him, just kill him already. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. which I think speaks to her ignorance about how the fight is going. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a fun progression over the course of the fight where it starts out with only really Sir Roderick noticing what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then slowly that spreads and spreads and spreads until finally the only people in the room who don't realize that Sir Vardis is getting beat and is about to die are Lysa and Lord Robert. Right. And yeah, she says, you know, finish him already. And Sir Vardis tries and fails and dies. Yeah. So with that said, this chapter kind of rounds itself out. Bronn has won as champion for Tyrion. Tyrion reminds Lysa and her brat of a kid that the trial's over and he won. And, you know, are you going to be a family that doesn't stand by, you know, yeah. what what this means? And she says, fine. She says, you did win. We'll give you a hor- you know horses and some provisions. And you're welcome to take the road out of here that you came in on, which we know to be quite dangerous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we had talked some about itself. this last time about, you know, what does Tyrion do? Do Mm -hmm. they strip him naked and send him off into the wild? And we've kind of landed at a middle point on the spectrum of options there, where they're going to give him food, they're going to give him provisions, they'll give him his stuff back. But yeah, you got to get yourself out of here, which is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But I got to say, in Tyrion's defense of that, like just sort of like understanding Tyrion's thought process is like, get out of the fire you're in and hop right into the next fire. (laughs) Like, like, at least he's not in that sky cell anymore. At least he's not worried about his life there. He has to worry about it next. I still think that maybe we'll find some Lannisters waiting at the gate, to be honest. But I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, actually, and I said it last time too. I think Catelyn might say, why don't why don't we break bread right, a little bit and, and, okay. and sort of understand ourselves here? Maybe try to figure this out together. Yeah. Um, well, that was going to be my question for you. So that that kind of gets ahead of us. We know Kat's plan as of earlier in the chapter which we skimmed past was to take a boat to the north, mm-hmm. go back to Winterfell, gather some men, and then head down to the Riverlands with Brendan. Uh, so, you know, maybe they'll change their plans and travel with Tyrion. Um, I would be a little surprised to see him want to go to the north after this experience, but that's Agreed. certainly an option too. Um, but yeah, you think, do you think we're coming back to the Erie or are we done here for now? I with, think we're like done here for now. Yeah. yeah right. I think that th- what else could be done here unless Lannisters want to make make a, a show of this and and go and tear the Aaron, you know, household apart. But that's that's war at that point. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's that's a fight. Right. All right. That makes sense. Did you have any any final thoughts to tack on? No, the only, I guess the only thing that I would say is sort of what I said about the last chapter. We sort of find ourselves with the situation unchanged. Tyrion well, Tyrion's is, free now. Yeah, Tyrion's situation great. has changed, and that's great. But Catelyn's still stuck in the same situation she's been in for a while. You know, th- th- this was sort of a big aside for a little while, and now she's going to go back up to the north, which is what she was already on her way to do. You know, she, right. the political situation hasn't changed at all. She hasn't really learned right. much from this, uh, except that her sister's a little nutty, and that Tyrion may not have had a direct hand in the murder of Jon Arryn at all. But and even certainly, that's speculation right now. Yeah, yeah, and... and I think it's worth noting that Tyrion getting released after winning at a trial probably doesn't buy them much goodwill from the Lannisters. You're damn right. Uh, as compared to letting him go willingly, maybe would have diffused things, but I, I would expect they're probably still going to be upset. Uh, doubly so if he dies on his way back. To uh, the, very the much agreed. Road. Very much agreed. With that All said, right. where, where are we going next? Yeah, so we're going to do three chapters back to that for a little while, uh, for one episode, actually. Uh, so that's going to be John 5, we're headed back up north. Tyrion 6, we're going to learn where he's headed. And Eddard 11. 
I'm glad the turn's going to be there because I am curious. Yeah, or we'll know soon enough. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk soon. I'll talk to you then. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing three chapters, A Game of Thrones, John 5, Tyrion 6, and Eddard 11. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast. And let us know your feedback or thoughts on Twitter at Bros with Banners. Thanks, as always, for listening.